Welcome, everybody, to the Straight Shooter Wrestling Podcast. I'm one half of your host, Santi. Steve, how are you? Not too bad, buddy. It's been a minute. How are you? I've been good, man. Um, been busy. Work, life, traveling. But we're back here to do the podcast, and today we're going to be talking a little bit of SummerSlam. So we've got that summer heat just around the corner. But Steve, how have you been? Anything interesting for coming from, from the world of Steve? Uh... You know what? We're just going to keep it a wrestling, dude. I finally booked my flight to the UK. I have my ticket to Clash at the Castle. I have some setups with some uh, WrestleTalk creators that we're going to meet up in Cardiff. Dude, I am looking forward to it. So Lana, Unicorn, Ross, going to see you guys in a couple of weeks. Like, it's coming quick. Like, we got some big events. And you and I got Monday Night Raw coming up in August. Dude, things are getting busy for... The boys at Straight Shoot and Pro Wrestling on the pro wrestling side, dude. I'm excited. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And there is definitely no rest for the wicked between now and Clash of the Castle because we have SummerSlam coming up. And admittedly, I'm a little bit worried about this year's SummerSlam since it seems like they weren't able to book John Cena. And that was sort of what people were hoping for throughout the better part of the lead up into Money in the Bank and the 20th anniversary of Cena. It seems like there's too much of a conflict right now between Cena's schedule and SummerSlam. So we're... For, for all intents and purposes, we are recording this right now with the assumption that John Cena is not at SummerSlam, which is a big bummer for a lot of people, which has led to the renewal of the main event of Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. John Cena probably absence probably had nothing to do with that, but the injury of Cody Rhodes did, the injury of Randy Orton did. So a lot of things have not been going WWE's way leading into this year's SummerSlam, but SummerSlam is probably the second busiest time of the season for wrestling fans because we're going to have an NXT event as well a bunch of indie shows that are probably going to happen around SummerSlam so if you're a wrestling fan this is mini Christmas for you and I'm Absolutely. sure you're super excited and because we have SummerSlam coming up the next few episodes of the podcast are going to be SummerSlam related Steve today though we are going to be discussing our top five SummerSlam moments of all time and i'm gonna get into what this means because we decided to do it a little bit different this time steve you have five moments correct yeah i have five moments dude and i i i need you to emphasize how we're doing this to the listeners because really you and i like we've always said come from two different generations of pro wrestling so this might get a little confusing for some so please lead it off and let us know what we're doing today yeah so in the past what we've done is we've created a a quote-unquote definitive top five list where we've uh ranked and gave weighted scores to my top five and steve's top five and then we created a a master top five what we've decided this time around is we're going to just discuss Steve's top five and my top five. And I've decided to take this on a take a little bit of a different approach than I normally have with these top five videos. What I've decided is I'm picking the five moments that have stood out to me since I began watching SummerSlams. So Steve is going to have moments from the 90s in his SummerSlam top five. And SummerSlam is, is a historically... 90s heavy uh pay-per-view like i would say that SummerSlam is probably is more famous for its moments in the 90s than from the 2000s onward i'm not gonna have those moments that being said i know he's gonna have moments that if i were doing an overall list of everything in SummerSlam, i would probably have those on my list but i wanted to actually celebrate 
our generational differences rather than have them clash as we try to force a, a weird Frankenstein top five. I said, screw it. My top five, Steve's top five. Let's celebrate the diversity of our eras as opposed to have them having them clash. I think the biggest thing here, Santi, is like you and I, again, are two different generational uh, fans, marks, if you want to. Um, but at the end of the day, like I grew up, I've been watching SummerSlam pretty much since the first one. So it's it's one of those ones that these moments stand out as my childhood. And just remember, I fell off kind of when you started up yeah. in pro wrestling. So I have a feeling a lot of the moments that you're going to talk about. Yeah, I probably watched it, but I wasn't as into pro wrestling at that time as you were. I'm probably just coming back or, you know, I'm watching the top four pay-per-views of the year. And obviously SummerSlam, arguably number two, maybe maybe number three depending where you put the rumble but it's one of those ones where you know you have to watch it every year if you want to keep into it so i'm really looking forward to seeing how this breaks down because there could be moments on here that i bring up and you're like i forgot about that and i'm hmm. gonna say the exact same thing yeah and now we need to emphasize what we mean by a moment because later on we're going to be doing our top five matches in SummerSlam history in a match in a moment sometimes go hand in hand and sometimes then they don't you can have a terribly technical match that leads to an unbelievably unforgettable moment right or yep. vice versa you could have an un unbelievable moment crappy match unbelievable match crappy moment right so we have defined moment as not necessarily the match but the consequences the 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 results something memorable that might have happened during the match so the the definition of a moment we've made a little bit subjective and loose nothing super concrete as the definition of best match this can we we've given ourselves some wiggle room in terms of steve being able to justify what he deems a moment and i'm able to justify what i deem to be a quote-unquote SummerSlam moment SummerSlam moment that does not get glorified as much as a wrestlemania moment does it it doesn't, but I really think people need to turn around and look at the things that have happened at SummerSlam. And some of these moments could go down as better moments than some of the things that we glorify for WrestleMania. I, I, I mean, I, yeah. I think so. No, I, I mean, I, I, I think I definitely agree with you. Um, but I think, you know what? I'll start us off with, with, with number five here. Number five, Steve, I, po I, I picked a moment from SummerSlam 2005. <laughs> and I picked this moment because of how bizarre everything was leading up to this match and this moment. And it's still talked about to this day. It is a meme in professional wrestling that will never be dropped and forgotten. And that is Mysterio winning custody of his own son from Eddie Guerrero in the ladder match. It is a ridiculous, ridiculous sequence of events in the most arguably I think we could make a video of the top 10 most bizarre storylines in WWE history. There is an argument that this one is on that. By the way, jot that down for a, for a future. Say, we're <laughs> do that. 
But this moment has stuck around with the legacy of wrestling fans over the past almost 20 years. If there is, there are people who weren't even born then that are wrestling fans that know of the meme of the custody match between Dominic, uh, excuse me, between Rey Mysterio and, um, and, and Eddie Guerrero. Of course, we all remember the image of Dominic with his bleached blonde hair. We remember the botch of Vicky Guerrero missing her cue. It was just such a fucking clusterfuck, Steve, that I will never forget it. I I will be on my deathbed and there is a 1% chance that my last words on this earth will be, what the fuck was that storyline? And then I die. That's how much I'm never going to forget Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero at SummerSlam 2005. Is it a greatest moment? Depends on what you define a moment to be. Is a moment a moment in time that will never be forgotten? Is that what we want to define a great moment to be? It's definitely an unforgettable moment. Go ahead, Listen, Sandy, you've got you've got a point there. It def- all this depends on what you break down a great moment being. Were you entertained? Uh, uh, as you saw in Gladiator, Gladiator, are you not entertained? I'm sorry, Santi was clearly entertained, and I'll tell you right now, Santi, that will live in my mind forever. The only thing I forgot, and sorry, you can troll me in the comments, I forgot that was SummerSlam. Yeah. Dead serious. <laughs> but other than that, that is one of those ones you're just like, WWE went that far. They yeah. went that far. And the best part was, wasn't Eddie with the blonde highlights yes. during that? Yeah, yeah. This was this was heel Eddie, uh, but not fun heel Eddie. This was like heel ruthless Eddie. Um, still some of Eddie's best work. Yeah. I'm, I don't mean to cut you off. Still some of Eddie's best work yeah. in this in this feud. Dominic, I'm your papi. I'll never <laughs> forget that. Now, um, with that being said steve i guess i should i should also you know clarify that you know this led to this was also a culmination of a long-standing feud this Mm -hmm. this was when wwe loved doing long-term storytelling and we got long-term storytelling between Rey Mysterio uh, and um, between Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero there, a, a storyline that lasted nearly a year to that point. It's not something that we get th- these days anymore, um, but this is just such a ridiculous moment that it's, it's, it's tattooed in the back of my brain. If WWE were to do, you know, those opening vignettes where they show like their greatest moments, Hogan slamming Andre, uh, Randy Orton winning the world title. If they were to do an opening vignette of the most ridiculous moments, I think this would be in there somewhere. That is my number five moment, Steve. Hey man. And that's, I think that's a great way to start this podcast off because it's, it's a banger. It's one of those ones that we could talk a full hour and a half about just the entire one year build to that. Uh, the influence of Vicky Guerrero in this, the the twists and turns with the vignettes, really one of those ones that is just, you know, historic. It's one of those ones, if you ever walk through the pro wrestling museum and you want to talk about like the people and what they did for the business, that storyline is somewhere in that museum, 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. But, All right, Steve, let's hear your number five. 
Santi, I'm going to start with number five on my on my list, and I'm throwing a swerve to you. I'm going with 2016 because it's one of those ones. It just won't go away. It's one of those ones I still to this day want to know if it was a shoot or a work. Um, it was the Jericho fight with Brock Lesnar mm. in the back. And this is what stemmed from what everyone remembers. Brock Lesnar versus Randy Orton. Uh, SummerSlam in Brooklyn 2016. Um, listen, first off, nobody was impressed. And nobody still is impressed with Brock Lesnar being a part-time wrestler. And this was like in that era of Lesnar having that part-time schedule, the title not being there, nobody really caring that Brock Lesnar was involved with pro wrestling. I flip it over to Randy Orton as well. Randy Orton at that time really didn't have that big star power that he has now or he had earlier. It was kind of that lull for Randy Orton. So this match was not one that was very memorable going into the event. But this was also a match that we could have done without on pro wrestling. If we wanted to watch something like this, I'll go watch it on Saturday night at the UFC because it was, uh, I believe it was Randy kicking out of an F5 and Lesnar losing it and beating down Orton. And then he removed his pads and started with some of the vicious elbows that I have ever seen. And it just busted Randy Orton open to a point that there was a pool of blood circa Steve Austin, Bret Hart. Even worse, maybe. The match ends, you know, Brock wins, and Brock Lesnar goes back through the curtain. And we've heard uh, Jericho talk about this on many podcasts. Um, actually, I just watched one on the Jordy podcast. Yep, I, I uh, literally watched that three hours ago. Perfect. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Yes. And he said he... And this this is where I'm getting with this point of why it's such a staple in pro wrestling history. It shows how much of a leader and how underrated Jericho is in the back as a professional wrestler. Okay? Jericho went face-to-face in Gorilla with a amped-up Brock Lesnar and said he would have died going into the he would have bit his nose off I, that was the one that he said on the Jordy podcast yeah but he's also mentioned this in other podcasts where he said yeah i fought brock lesnar and yes he could have killed me but at the end of the day i didn't know what was going on and it wasn't right what happened in that ring was not pro wrestling it was not sports entertainment but this shows and explains how Jericho needs to be in that greatest of all time conversation because it's not what he's done characteristically in the ring and it's not what he has done as a performer in the ring. It is what he has done to influence the guys in the back to show how business is done and how things should move and what should not happen. So I don't think this moment gets enough credit. It's a, it's a controversial moment. I wanted to leave it at number five. I didn't want to put it higher on the list because it didn't really affect what the fans saw. But this needs to speak to the character of Chris Jericho and what he has done for this business. Because I'm not going to lie, Santi, if I'm the size of Chris Jericho and I'm not much smaller, I'm only a couple inches shorter and a couple pounds lighter. I am still not going face to face with Brock Lesnar. It doesn't matter how pissed off I am. And I don't think you're going to do it either. No, Brock Lesnar could fuck my girlfriend and I'd be like, I, I'm sorry, sir. I, I would yeah. be apologizing to him. 
exactly. <laughs> exactly. So this just is a solidified moment for Jericho. And I respect Jericho for everything. I still want to know if this, if that was a work or a shoot in the ring. Yeah. Like we, we don't know. And, and what's interesting is that this particular moment, this is a, this is a moment of its, um, how do I say this? This is a moment created by the generation that it happened in. If this did not happen in the generation of social media, this, we'd, we'd never know that this happened. We literally wouldn't. The era of podcasts, the era of airing things on Twitter, um, this would have, it, it would have been like, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, they make any sound. In the era of social media, everyone hears everything. Uh, yeah. And we wouldn't have heard about this if it didn't happen in the year 2016. You put this in 1996, we wouldn't know about it. And because of the amplification that social media and podcasts are able to give the real side of professional wrestling, it gives these moments um, true contextual importance because it reminds us that these guys and, and girls are not cartoons they are not movie stars they are athletes they are people who are proud of their craft they are more in line uh with a broadway performer than anything because they are performing in front of people if they if a broadway performer or if a professional wrestler fucks up in the middle of the ring or in the middle of the stage there's no redos right there's no redos so when moments like these happen and they're amplified by social media it gives us that reminder that there is a real human side to professional wrestling and jericho helped us see that because all yeah. we saw was a bloody Orton in the ring, and everyone's like, oh, wow, what a moment. Not a great match, but ah, it's just WWE. But then, you know, once it gets to the back, it made us fans realize, what the fuck? Things like this aren't okay. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, the one thing we have to remember is these guys are on the road with each other. They might not be best friends, but these guys see each other day in and day out, 320 days a year. And the biggest part about this is they're all friends. They meet each other's family. They meet each other's significant others. Uh, they're kids and they're, you know, they're not always in a feud with each other. Like sometimes they've got to work together. And this is one of those ones where you're like, holy shit, dude, like this happened backstage. What are the other things that we don't know about? Yeah. What are the things that have happened? Who's fought who? Who's injured who? And who's been fired because of who? So it's, it's, it's goes to those points of, what have we missed because kayfabe was very alive in the 90s and it's kind of funny i'm looking at my list right now as we you talk about this and you bring the point up there's a lot of things on here that i would never have put on this if it was the 2000 and the year of social media and we'll get into that later so anyways guys that's number five for me uh jericho fighting brock lesnar God, Jericho, you got balls of steel. <laughs> Seriously, man. All right, my number four, Steve, is Shawn Michaels buries the Hulk Hogan feud at SummerSlam 2004 with his ridiculous, childish-level antics of overselling Hulk Hogan breathing on him and Shawn Michaels doing five pirouettes out of the ring. This is another one. Of, I, I put this almost alongside the uh, uh, the Dominic um, custody feud, 
because it's one of those moments that is just so bonkers and ridiculous and you wonder how a consummate professional like hulk hogan can do what he did to michaels and then michaels retaliating over retaliating personally by ruining uh what was at that moment in time and steve feel free to to argue here the most anticipated match in wrestling history sean michaels versus hulk hogan this is once in a lifetime this is generations clashing this was a match that we never would have gotten in the 90s because of egos and we thought that egos had been put aside in the 2000s you didn't hear about egos the ego era was the 90s and the 80s we thought it was put aside and yet Shawn michaels and hulk hogan took us back in time into the year 1994 where ego and status was all that mattered in the world of professional wrestling for those that don't know this was a feud that was supposed to go into wrestlemania with Shawn michaels winning the wrestlemania rematch that's what hulk hogan was signed on to do hulk hogan backed out last minute and said he won't do the job for Shawn michaels so then Shawn Michaels was scheduled to lose at SummerSlam. And rather than losing in a what we were hoping to be a four or five star classic, he decided to ridicule not just the match and not just Hulk Hogan, but for those 20 minutes, the entire concept of professional wrestling was put on a clown pedestal. It was made to look ridiculous. It was super unprofessional. But do I remember it and do I fucking love going back to watch it? You goddamn right that I do. You goddamn fucking right that I love going back to watch this because it's so ridiculous, Steve. First off, Santi, I can't believe you brought this moment up. Well, I can, but I can't believe you brought it up on this podcast because not 10 minutes before we came on the air, I watched on TikTok this video of a panda falling down a ramp and all the <laughs> caption was, Shawn Michaels selling for Hulk Hogan at SummerSlam. So this is perfect. And honestly, it's it's the truest, it's mm -hmm. the truest comment that you've made that Shawn Michaels buried the stigma that is Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania. You know, like in that moment, I don't I don't know if Shawn Michaels actually realized what he did at that moment. I know it's Shawn Michaels. But he was a different form of Shawn Michaels in this time in this time frame. So you're not looking at 96, 97 Montreal Screwjob piece of shit Shawn Michaels that um, really didn't care about anyone but himself. But the damage and harm that he did to one pro wrestling and two Hulk Hogan's legacy not not saying that Hulk Hogan hasn't done enough damage to his legacy, but at that point in time, it had not all come out about Hulk Hogan. So this was kind of like the first crack in the wall. And watching that, you're like, is Sean back on drugs? That was the first thing I remember. Is Sean back on drugs? Like, is this, is this actually happening? Don Michaels, the future Hall of Famer, the guy who has done it all, Mr. WrestleMania, is taking the piss out of possibly at that time one of the Mount Rushmore's of professional wrestling. You sit there and you're like, take a step back, 
wipe the dust out of your ears like or eyes that you don't know really what's going on and you're like whoa this is a staple moment in pro wrestling that's never going to be forgotten because somebody decided to act like an asshole yeah and it's one of those where um yeah sean acted like an asshole in retaliation to uh, to hulk hogan acting like an asshole this is what i meant by like egos again being put to the forefront and you know i wasn't there and i would have loved this moment to happen in the t world of social media because Absolutely. we don't know what happened in the back afterwards but i can imagine Shawn michaels got reamed out by vince and then when he went to the locker room got high-fived by everyone in the locker room that's what i imagine happening this is the same thing I'm thinking of. I'm thinking like before that match, you, you've got the guys sitting in Vince's office. You got Vince, you got Taker, because Taker was always there. You got Vince, you got Taker, you got Hunter, you got Sean. And probably one of the producers, producer at that time, I think was Bruce Pritchard. It's still, still that day or still that time. Maybe was it Russo back then? I don't know. Anyways, you got those guys walking over the match and like, okay, don't, don't do anything stupid. Just go through the match. You know, there's a little bit of a feud coming out of Mania, whatever. But just do the, do the work. And we all go happy, go home happy and get paid. I would love to have been a fly on the wall in Vince's office at the end of that. And the thing is that big ominous undertaker just standing there, arms crossed, being like, you two stupid sons of bitches. Like you idiots. Because Taker was always about business, right? Yep. And you know Taker was there. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to see who got boot fucked that night. Yeah. I, he... I think that's where I'm going to leave it at. I think I, I, I think I, I, I said what I needed to say. It's just so fucking ridiculous. And, but here's the thing again, the concept of a moment is subjective and a moment is something that you're never going to forget. And I'm never going to forget this. I really am not. This is something that I find myself going to go back on YouTube to watch this probably like once a year. So yeah. hell, hell yeah. I don't think we'll, we'll ever get something like this again. I think that this was a flash in the pan moment that we'll never see again. And honestly, Santi, that's a perfect segmentation into where I'm going with my number four moment. And we are going the way back to 1991. The Ultimate Warrior holds up SummerSlam for contract negotiations. Now, listen. We're seeing this in the new generation. Uh, Sasha Banks, Naomi, that wasn't contract, but it's wrestlers, you know, voicing their opinion and taking a stand. We go back to Stone Cold, taking his ball and going home. This was really the first one we heard about publicly when it came to a wrestler taking a stand. Don't get me wrong. I don't agree with what Warrior did. And it's not all true about it was the night of SummerSlam, but it was a couple of weeks before where, you know, Ultimate Warrior was becoming the next guy following up, you know, Hulk Hogan and, you know, the, the two powers that be, you know, taken over the entire pro wrestling. And this was, you know, the time of egos, you know, egos were big in the 80s and the, and the 90s. And you've got, you know, the ultimate warrior thinking he was bigger than he really was. And, you know, we had, what was it, WrestleMania 6, I think, where he pinned Hogan. And then they went on with, uh, you know, this led into 91, right? And from there, 
there was about a month before where Ultimate Warrior called up Vince and said, I want $550,000 or I'm not going to work SummerSlam. And this is where Vince really had to make a decision. And Vince made the decision for the business. Vince paid the $550,000. But following that event, subsequently, it was the end of the Ultimate Warrior, as we knew, because he was suspended right after. He was handed the papers as he went into Gorilla. You're suspended indefinitely. And we never saw Warrior until, what, 96? And then never saw him again after that? This was supposed to be the next guy. This was supposed to be the guy that takes over for Hogan. Who does business like this? First off, we all watched Warrior's promos, right? You never understood a damn thing he was saying. Something about stargazing and UFOs (laughs) and all this kind of stuff. Nobody knew what he was talking about. Great cut the promo. Like, he had the passion. But nobody knew what the hell he was saying. And he was horrible in the ring. I think the only person next to him that was as bad is Goldberg. But at the end of the day, we're looking at somebody that WWE thought was marketable because of his face paint and just his build. He was a typical Vince McMahon guy. The guy decided to try to fuck over Vince McMahon and look what happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting that, I mean, I'm already looking at our list and there's already not even just like moment, m- moment differences, but also like what um, aspect of the business we find as memorable because both of your picks so far have been um, non-kayfabe moments, right? Like moments that are real as opposed yeah. to the two that I pick. Well, I guess the, the Shawn Michael, but like there it's within the context of, of, of the show, what was shown uh, to the audience. And it's true. This was, um, this was the first kind of public dispute that one reminded you that Vince McMahon is the owner of the WWE, uh, which was not something that was um, televised, but the smart fans knew. And two, it was the first time that we had um, a a superpower within the the wrestling business. This being the the Ultimate Warrior, I guess superpowers like no pun intended with the Ultimate. Anyways, um, using his star power as leverage, we've we've seen more of that happen as the time has as times have gone right um and now vince is kind of to the point where he either pays here he doesn't get the fuck out of here but that was not something that he could afford at the time you lose warrior in 1991 going into SummerSlam. you've lost an entire leg of your of your business um yeah, I mean, I'm finding this really interesting, just kind of how you're taking this uh, and going more towards the the business side, the things that the fans um, don't really didn't get to see during SummerSlam. But these are things that are happening in the business within the context of SummerSlam. I think that's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of funny because like my, my next couple are actually in ring or storyline ones, but these were ones that I'm looking at. And it's just like I can't not bring attention to them because they were ones that really changed the visual focus of the business and like you know me like it, well i always say it i always love the storyline and i always love knowing what's going on backstage right we like kayfabe's dead but you wish it wasn't but you still love knowing what's going on behind the scenes and these are the two ones that you're like wow again like we said imagine being a fly in the wall yeah 
for how this went down, you know? So it's just one of those ones. So yeah, that's number four. 91 Warrior holds up SummerSlam. And sub- subsequently, that was the end of Ultimate Warrior. So yeah. Santi, number three for you. Number three for me is a moment that led into a moment. I just want you to follow along with me. Okay. okay. So the year is SummerSlam 2018. Not, not more than three months from now, we would have the birth of potentially the most popular superstar of the last 10 years. And the birth of this superstar didn't happen at SummerSlam, but the transition towards that started at SummerSlam 2018. The moment I'm talking about where that was the birth of one of the most famous super, the, the, the most over superstars of the last 10 years is the man Becky Lynch, bloody face, during the Raw invasion going into uh, Survivor Series of that same year. But this started with the heel turn from Becky Lynch, the happy-go-lucky, smiley, hidden hands with the fans, uh, the Irish lass, right? The steampunk look uh, during a triple threat match between uh, her, Carmella, and Charlotte. Charlotte wins. Becky Lynch goes to hug Charlotte, congratulate her. You're like, oh my God, here we go again. Becky Lynch being another uh, bud in the joke of the career of Charlotte Flair. And then we have the turn. Becky Lynch turning heel on someone who was a face, but was a heel to a lot of people in the audience, Charlotte Flair, which instantly made Becky Lynch the most over- female superstar in the locker room at that moment, only for her to absolutely shatter that three months later before Survivor Series. But that Survivor Series moment or pre-Survivor Series moment does not happen without Becky Lynch turning heel and finally telling the world, I am here. Because Steve, at this moment in time, we had the four horsewomen. We had Charlotte, we had Sasha Banks, we had Bailey. And what many people considered to be, no pun intended, the redheaded stepchild of the four horsewoman, Becky Lynch. Finally stepping out of that shadow and saying, world, I am here. I am the man, Becky Lynch. That is my moment. The birth of arguably the most popular female superstars of all time. Santi, you always say WWE always messes up when they have lightning in a bottle. That moment. First off, there's another moment that happened there, and it was the pop when she delivered that forearm, which could go down, I would say, in the top 15, potentially top 10 pops of all time. Yes, big shout, I know, but at the end of the day, that was massive, that was loud, and everybody wanted it, because the entitled bitch, Charlotte Flair, which everyone was just so sick of, always getting forced down our throat, kind of like the John Cena uh, in the mid-2000s. Needed somebody to stand up and say, you know what, we're sick of you, like, we need something else. And Becky did it, and damn, did WWE open that lightning and bottle and let it go. Now, here's that, let me me jump in there, Steve, because I want to touch on something you just said, the pop. That the fact that the audience wanted this to happen, 
They wanted this, but they didn't know that they wanted Becky Lynch. No one was calling for Becky to turn heel. We just thought she was an afterthought. Yeah. We Everyone wanted it to be someone like a Sasha Banks to put her in her place. Or at the time, a Ronda Rousey. A lot of people wanted the Ronda Rousey to put Charlotte Flair in her place. No one was asking, can we have the Becky Lynch heel turn? Can you please finally push Becky Lynch? That wasn't happening. We'd no. given up on Becky Lynch. We thought, fuck, she's just an afterthought in, in this division. And she reminded us that she, no, no, the hell she's not. And we didn't ask for this, but it was what we needed. It was what we needed. It's what we got. And I'm not going to lie. Everyone said, oh, her star power kind of faded since she came back uh, from, you know, having her kid and that kind of stuff. No. Oh. So here's the thing. And I don't mean to take away from the moment, but I just want to say about Becky Lynch. She's had so many characters, a la Seth Rollins, who has had so many characters and been able to reinvent himself over and over and over and over. Granted, Becky's storyline right now has not been good. But she is just as good as she was as the man. That character that as the man that she was able to put together. And yes, okay, the blood pouring down her face during the, uh, the invasion was, you know, wasn't written. But it worked. Like Austin bleeding in the sharpshooter. It wasn't what they expected to get, but they got it and they went with it. So this, I don't think if WWE allowed this moment to happen of Becky turning on Charlotte and then coming out and don't forget the, the Monday night raw promo or sorry, was it SmackDown or raw? They were SmackDown at the time. SmackDown. My apologies. The SmackDown promo that kicked off SmackDown that, that following uh thursday or friday was fire it was the first time you sat there and you listened to becky talk so you said one of the biggest superstars recently and potentially of all time becky at that point put herself in the top three women of all time in professional wrestling just with one forearm and one heel turn there it is all right steve what do you got Santi, we're talking about turns. So funny that both of us have a turn at number three. But I'm going again. I'm going way back. I am going to 1996. Paul Bearer betrays The Undertaker. I forgot about and, that. And joins with Mick Foley, a.k.a. Mankind at the time. Now listen. Paul when you think of The Undertaker, you think of Paul Bear. That's all that you think of the and that and the darkness and this big guy coming out, creepy mortician. And then The Undertaker arrives and the power of the urn that Paul Bearer possessed. It was one of those ones where you're like, they're two peas in a pod. This could never happen. Peanut butter and jam. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, you have this weird no acknowledgement from Paul Bearer when Undertaker takes his knee. 
And it's like, what in God's name just happened? And there was a couple, I think, boiler room brawls that happened between Mick Foley and Undertaker that really made sure that this was one of the great rivalries of the mid-90s. And my God, like, would you would you have ever, if you grew up back then, thought that that could happen? No, kayfabe's not dead at that point. This is there's no dirt sheets that really write this off. Like, I just think when I saw this, I I, I was a kid. I was ninety six, so I was like nine, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, "What's happening? Why is he doing this?" Like, it's almost like a father leaving his son, you know. So no, the Undertaker t- or Paul Bearer turning on the Undertaker is one of those ones that you just sit there and you're like, was it too early? Maybe. Was it a massive shock? Damn right it was. Yeah, I mean, like you said, like it, the, this is peanut butter and jam. That's Star, Starsky and Hutch. This is, uh, these are the two inseparables, right? Um, this would be kind of like somebody on the New Day turning, right? It's yeah. just, it's it wouldn't, it wouldn't feel right. You'd have more awful feelings inside you than you would good ones, right? No one, no one popped for this, right? No one's like, yeah, finally, something different. I think that if I were a kid back then watching this, I would have been hurt watching Paul Bearer turn on The Undertaker, not understanding why, not understanding why these two inseparable forces because you couldn't even call them men they were entities these two inseparable entities are now being pushed aside and the look in the undertaker's face when he didn't reciprocate after kneeling it hurts man it hurts like it's 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 the supernatural storyline but it's it's it it was a human moment in the supernatural storyline that I don't know, brought emotion to it as a fan. And if you're a kid watching that, you're going to have more questions than you're going to have like who's and ha's and hoorahs. The the only two that I can really think, and I the one thing I remember about this is the Undertaker mm-hmm. actually taking the urn off the dome. I remember this. I remember it vividly. He just, it's I, he takes this and he just looks up with disbelief. It's like, what? Like, this is the source of my power. This is like, this was before Austin joining McMahon. You never thought that was going to happen. It's almost like um, today's storyline. Paul Heyman leaving Brock Lesnar? Never thought that was going to happen. This was that first. Imagine Miss Elizabeth turning. Yeah, I think that's the best example. I think that's the Macho best example. Man Randy Savage. I think you hit it on the part with that walking example. Away. Not her walking away like she did, but turning in the middle of the ring, maybe delivering a low blow or something like that. Imagine Elizabeth turning on Savage. And but we had Paul Bearer, this entity with Taker. My God, what good creative. Good creative. Santi number two. <laughs> All right, number two. WWE's crown jewel of long-term storytelling in the last 10 years. I don't think it gets better than this, Steve. And this is this was chapter two 
of that long-term storytelling with chapter one, starting with John Cena selecting the mystery opponent that he was going to face at SummerSlam. And it was the one everyone wanted, but the one the company didn't. And that was Daniel Bryan. And we received, at that moment in time, Steve, I would argue John Cena's best match of all time at SummerSlam 2013 between Daniel Bryan and John Cena. Um, with, uh, by the way, in case you don't remember, Triple H, for some reason, being the special guest referee, again, inserting himself into SummerSlam main events for some reason. And this was, uh, the match was fantastic. I, I, you know, you can make an argument that this might be a top 25 SummerSlam match of all time. But it's not the match we remember. Remember at the start I told you that even though the match is, could be fantastic, it's the moment that we take away from it. And it was the moment that we took away from it because it wasn't just one moment. It was three fucking moments happening in the span of four minutes. The first moment is John Cena taking a clean three count for a white hot Daniel Bryan with a pop at that time, probably the best pop in the last three, four years. Still yep. an incredibly memorable pop. And we thought, oh my God, they did it. They listen to the fans. They are going with the guy that the audience is pulling for. Then the confetti drops and the title card appears signaling that the pay-per-view is done. And then Daniel Bryan turns around, eats a pedigree from Triple H. That's moment number two. Moment number three happens three seconds later with Randy Orton's music hitting. He comes down, cashes in his money in the bank, and destroys the hopes and dreams of the entire WWE universe. At that moment, Steve, what had just happened should have been tried for war crimes. What they did to the audience was awful. What they put us through emotionally and physically should be a crime. And at the time, no one was happy about it. People were fucking pissed because they put the title on the guy that everyone wanted only for them to, for them to create a storyline to ridicule us for picking that guy by calling him a B-plus player. And then we had six, seven months of storyline building into what we know now as the miracle on Bourbon Street. But all of this started here with WWE, probably WWE's first storyline where they brought the audience into it, where, hey, this is your guy. This is the internet darling. And we're going to shit in his, in his mouth. And then we're going to shit in all your mouths for the next five, six months. And you're going to love it because the end result is going to be something that you're going to love. But the first heaping pile of shit that we ate during that storyline was that. So first off, don't put me in your category of everyone loved what 99 percent of people yeah i was like it, don't okay. put me in your category first off sandy if we were making a top five <laughs> matches and moments of the 2000s this would be my number one. First off john cena i will give him said little credit that he can build a feud out of nothing 
very much like Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins, Stone Cold, The Rock. But what happened in this match made me smile with joy for three reasons. First off, John Cena takes a clean pin. And I could not have been happier. But I was miserable because Daniel Bryan got Dude, the you're title. Dude, you're an awful human. I don't care. You're a terrible person. I don't care. Let me finish. This is my time to talk. Daniel Bryan wins the title. But the thing is, the only giveaway to this moment is Triple H wore his wrestling boots with his pants tucked in for this whole match. So you knew something was going to happen. And as you said, the card comes up. Randy's making his way down to the ring. Hunter turns him. Flat pancake in the middle of the ring. My favorite part was when Randy slithers into the ring. He t- Hunter takes the briefcase and shows his true authority. And he says, looks over. It's a beautiful shot of him leaning through the ropes. He's cashing it in. Ring the, ring the bell now. And turns around, and Orton just slithers. One, two, three. Everyone that gets to go home happy. Because John Cena is no longer champion. Daniel Bryan is still a bum. It was a great moment. I loved every second of it. Do you just... I'm assuming that you think every bad guy in the movie in movies is right. You probably are that type of person that justifies all the bad people in movies. Anyways, you're wrong. You're right in the te- in the sense that it's a mo- your interpretation of this is god awful because that is just not how the WWE universe felt. Steve, come on. Um, but yeah, I mean, the this um, yeah, there's just so much going on here, right? Like, there's just so many things that you can talk about, and. You know, all jokes aside, people were not happy with this. They were very upset with WWE's decision to take the title off of the new guy and put it on at the industry standard. And then they turned that hate and an upset nature of the of the Internet into what I think is the best storyline WWE has built in the last 10 years. I, I can't think of a better one than that. So, um, and it all started here at SummerSlam with a roller coaster glass case of emotion. Seriously, like, no, all jokes aside, like, if I was a fan, a normal fan, I would have been pissed being in that arena because you literally just gave us, gave everyone what they're looking for for the latter part of six to eight months with the B plus player bull- bullshit and literally burying. Daniel Bryan as much as they can and John Cena coming out as the hero and the white knight of pro wrestling to give this kid his shot and he got his shot he took it he buried the you know the top the guy at the top of the mountain and the guy who had been at the top of the mountain for so many years and he, he in a great match four and a half star match but really at the end of the day like storytelling wise you're right last 10 years one of the best stories storylines of all of all time or or at least of that 10 years and if i was a fan in your situation wwe got what they wanted they got the heat and the 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 fury of the wwe universe that they needed 
to get that pop at the following mania. And don't let WWE fool you. They'll make you believe that this was their plan all along. Don't forget that the plan was to do Randy Orton versus Batista at WrestleMania. And it wasn't because we continued to rebel as audience as an audience that they put Daniel Bryan in. So don't let WWE fool you into thinking that this was their plan all along. They were planning on burying Daniel Bryan and putting the title on us industry standard, like a Randy Orton or Batista. This is another reason why I love this moment because, you know, to quote John Laurinaitis, people power, Steve, and that's where <laughs> I'm going to leave it. What is your number two? Sandy, it's, it's very weird that our last two have been kind of linked with similarity. Very, very similar. Um, I'm going all the way back to 1992, Bret Hart and the British Bulldog at Wembley Stadium. I thought that was going to be your number one. Absolutely not. I'm Trust me, my number one is going to shock you. Um, but Bret Hart, British Bulldog at Wembley. And it's fitting that Clash of the Castle is coming up 30 years uh, in a couple of weeks here. Um, almost, Almost to the month. Um, but it was the British Bulldog who had never really got a push. He never really got a push, but he's in his homeland of Manchester, or not in Manchester. He, they were in London at Wembley. But the 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 homeboy that married one of the daughters of the greatest wrestling family of all time in the hearts. The brothers-in-law do battle for the IC title. And it was for the what? The it was the IC title. I know. I just wanted you to. I wanted you to say it again because that is a big mo. That is a big reason why this is so memorable because it's yeah. it's the IC title. Could you imagine yeah. that these days? The IC title being in a moment like this. Carry on. The IC title main basically being the main event of a top four pay per view. Come on, man. So first off, let's let's go back to this story because there was a bit of long-term storytelling with this diana brett's do uh brett's sister and davy's wife choosing not to choose sides for this match it was listen you guys squash your feud we're going to be family at the end of it but here's the thing santi a clinic of a match i don't say five star often this could have been, I think, I'll say 4.95. Not even give it a five because I don't want to. But it is a clinic of a professional wrestling match. No flips, no spins, no ladders, no chairs, no tables. It was a wrestling match in front of a sold-out Wembley Stadium. And these two tore the fucking roof off if there wasn't already a roof gone. It was incredible. Granted, I was only five. I didn't know what I was watching. But you go back and watch this match, you understand how good this was. And at the end of it, the boy from England gets his title shot. And the pop. You didn't hear pops like that back then. And we always say the UK crowd is crazy. But this crowd was insane. And at the end of it, it was very New Japan-ish. Both finish, get up, shake hands, hug. You just appreciate it was a phenomenal match and the better man won on the night. It was one of those ones where you sit there and you're like, wow, you didn't even need a story. Just put these guys out there and let them go. 
I mean, I don't, I don't think I can add to that. I think you kind of um, said it perfectly. What's interesting is that like, this is, this is a moment created because of the match. Remember yeah. how we've talked about like, match and moment can be separate. The match can be amazing. The moment can be a dud and vice versa. This wasn't a moment. They, they weren't going for a story moment. The match was just so fucking good that it being so good is the moment. Of course, the pop is adds to the to to the creation of the legacy of this moment. But that's how good this match was. There wasn't a giant heel turn at the end. There wasn't some crazy elaborate supernatural storyline happening at the end. It was just them hugging at the very end. And that's your moment. The match was just so good. The audience was so into it that that is enough to create a long-standing moment that not just fans still adore to this day. WWE loves to brag about this moment whenever they get a chance to do SummerSlam highlight packages. Of course, it's always going to be there. It's going to be there for the next 50 years. It's been there for the last 30 it's going to be there for the next 50 and people will talk about it. The true wrestling fans that watch everything will teach their kids that this, if you want to get into professional wrestling, if you watch this with dad or if you watch this with mom and you want to become a pro wrestler, you need to learn how to put on a match like this. Simple as that. So. Number ones. I'm excited because you and I, I think we're going on two different avenues here. So I can't wait. All right. So, you know, I'm a natural storyteller, Steve. I think every single one of my moments, <laughs> I've given you a preamble to get the people hyped and try and keep you guessing. So I'm going to do the same thing for my number one. 1998, I wasn't watching wrestling. I really started watching wrestling 1999, but it was here or there, whenever it was on, whenever my parents would let me put it on because we only had one TV in the house. I didn't really start watching wrestling until 2002, mm -hmm. okay? And I was watching the likes of The Rock, Hulk Hogan, American Badass, Undertaker, Stone Cold Steve Austin towards the end of his, of his main run, Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, all of these amazing names from 2002. And they were doing amazing. Oh, and Brock Lesnar. Let's not, let's, let's, let's not forget Brock Lesnar. And they were having amazing events like WrestleMania 18, King of the Ring, Backlash, Vengeance. These pay-per-views that are iconic from 2002 for being so good. And then this guy comes back that I didn't really know because I wasn't watching wrestling in 1996, 1997, 1998. All I knew was that he was Triple H's best friend and that he'd been retired for four years, but I, I don't know who this is. I really don't know who this is. And then they created a storyline between these two that got me hooked into professional wrestling. Because yeah. even though I didn't know the legacy of Shawn Michaels, I know what a friend is. I know what a best friend is. And turning on your best friend, I mean, it's been, it's been demonized since the age of Judas and Jesus Christ. You don't do that. And I got to watch the storyline build of two best friends, one coming back to support 
his other best friend, Triple H, and helping him get to the top of the mountain. And then Triple H turning on Shawn Michaels because he feels that Shawn Michaels only came back to take the spotlight. And these two, again, created a storyline for the ages. One of my favorite sets of vignettes is the lead up of this match, an unsanctioned match at SummerSlam 2002. The match for somebody that had been away from wrestling for four years had no business being this fucking good or this violent. All right, we're talking about a man with a broken back, spinal, coming back after four years of not being in the ring at all, putting together with Triple H such a brutal car crash of a match that is unforgettable. The match is amazing. And then Shawn Michaels gets the roll-up pin, one, two, three. And then we have Shawn Michaels celebrating his epic return to wrestling only for then wwe to again do the thing that they do which is just snatch beautiful moments away from their fans and have triple h kayfabe re-break his back with a sledgehammer to me this is kind of similar to the um to bret hart david boy smith in the sense that yes there's a lot going on but the match is just so good and the pieces of the match add to it the anticipation of Shawn michaels returning the blood feud between these two and this was a blood feud from the onset this wasn't the third match in a feud this was the first match and the first match was an unsanctioned match the audience was hot the violence was wild the celebration at the end is impeccable and then the 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 memorable moment of triple h bloody hitting uh, Shawn Michaels in the back with the sledgehammer. Just a culmination of moments leading to what I personally believe for me is the most memorable moment in SummerSlam history. Without this feud, without this match, I'm not here doing this podcast because that is what got me absolutely veins hooked on the WWE. Listen, first thing I want to say is a phenomenal pick. I I don't think I could have picked anything better if I was focusing just in that era like that there's nothing else the feud i first off when you think of Shawn michaels and triple h going into a max match against each other first thing you get is goosebumps i don't care you're then secondly your adrenaline starts to pump and you get excited because you're like you're in for a roller coaster it's almost like that part at the top of the roller coaster when you're about to drop That's the feelings that you get when these two are about to put on not a wrestling clinic, a sports entertainment clinic, because they tell the story, they perform in the ring, and they put it all on the line, and they have in every single match they've ever had. This, though, the story. I love a story. This, for me, is one of the best builds, and all I can remember takes the cake in it is Don on the screen beaten up it was cut you up. hunter it was you hunter oh such a good moment and they go to the digital camera where they open up all the pixelations and they fix it and they show hunter standing there you know and then hunter's like you damn right it was me sean and you're like whoa whoa okay he's not gonna even lie we're getting this? Okay, yes, please. 
WWE. I don't know who your creative was back then. Bring them back. Yeah. Because fuck yes, this was awesome. Because right up until that moment, Steve, this was this was this wasn't a feud. This was two friends being upset with one another. This yep. was Shawn Michaels not wanting to be Triple H's manager and Triple H being upset that he wouldn't be his manager because he felt that Shawn Michaels couldn't belittle himself to help uh, Triple H get over. It it was a, this was a, these were friends who were upset and angry at each other. It was that moment that turned this into a fucking blood feud. And this is what I mean. Like they didn't need to have matches leading up to this. It wasn't like regular match. No holds barred match. Hell in a cell match. This was so wild that Eric Bischoff was like, I want nothing to do with this. An unsanctioned match. You guys do what you need to do. One more thing that I'll add, you know, storyline aside is the ability of this match to not get lost in the shuffle. This was a SummerSlam. Let me just let me just throw out some matches out here for you. Kurt Angle, Rey Mysterio, Chris Jericho, Ric Flair, Rob Van Dam, Eddie Guerrero, okay? The Rock and Brock Lesnar. This is a jam-packed card. Arguably, and, and I think most people would say this is either number one or number two in SummerSlam history. This was the match of that SummerSlam. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can't remember. I know I've watched a doc. Can't say which doc it was, but I do remember a quote of after they went back through the curtain, whoever was going on next basically just turned around and said, fuck you. And then they went out and had to do their match. I cannot remember who it was. I think it might have been Jericho. But it was one of those ones where you hate to be the guy to go on next. So yeah, Steve, phenomenal I'm, pick. I'm, I'm I'm moving on. I think I've I've gushed enough about this match and everything that it did for me as a wrestling fan, as a kid watching that, just being. And this was, by the way, a time where I rooted for the face and I booed the heel. So like it was, it was an emotional roller coaster for a child this particular storyline where like you kept going like boo yes no oh god what's going on ah uh, uh, boo ah, so good so fucking good and i could talk about this for three four five hours but now i need to hear your number one santi i love what you did because you picked a very positive and unfortunately i have to go to an extreme negative for my number one um listen i do believe that without this moment we don't get some of the greatest work of this man's career without this moment. And I'm going back to 1997, Owen Hart spiking Stone Cold Steve Austin square on his head. Breaking his neck, putting him out, and basically halting the fire the heat, the lightning in a bottle that Austin had in his career. The basically number one guy going into 97, 98 was Stone Cold Steve Austin. And one fluke accident puts him on the shelf. And we don't get this man for eight to 12 months. One fluke accident from a guy that does not do anything any accidents a guy that does not make mistakes in the ring which is owen hart arguably and i will say this on the pod 
the best wrestler out of the Heart Dungeon. Potentially the best technical wrestler ever out of Canada. Just going to say that. But without this moment, Sandy, let's put, let's take a negative and make it a positive. Without this moment, and without Stone Cold being able to sit back and recreate himself as the beer-swilling Texas Rattlesnake, Austin 316 badass, we don't get the GM, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and the Linda McMahon run of who's going to run Monday Night Raw, who is Linda putting in charge, we don't get Austin terrorizing Brock Lesnar with an ATV. We don't get any of the purest form of the Vince McMahon-Austin feud because they would have just kept him in the, in the ring doing this badass character, the Texas Rattlesnake. We wouldn't have gotten the funny vignettes. We wouldn't have gotten the, uh, you know, the grocery store with Booker T. We wouldn't have got all this because he had to be restricted because of his neck injury. But in a negative, you get such an incredible positive that put him more over coming back than he already was. And granted, let's talk about this. All of Stone Cold's best work was outside of the squared circle. He was great in the squared circle. Don't get me wrong. Don't crucify me. But some of, and most of, Austin's best work was outside of the ring, on the mic, during non-wrestling segments. And secondly, before we get into what I just said, how badass is Stone Cold Steve Austin and how tough is that son of a bitch that he was still able to pull a really shitty roll up and get a pin with a broken neck. Yeah, uh, there are some people that make their career off of their work in the ring. AJ Styles, Samoa Joe has come to mind, Bret Hart. And then there's Stone Cold who made his career from sports entertainment, really. Like, he is the one that really brought the entire package together. He was fantastic in the ring. But then, like you said, that limitation forced him to become more than he was for the fans and for the cameras. Because now, in his mind, he's like, shit, I need to get over character-wise. I can't just focus on getting over with my in-ring talent. And like you said, this created um, the perfect storm of the most popular superstar in, in WWE history. Um, now... There was one thing that that I I wanted to add for for our younger audiences that maybe don't rem remember this moment because I know we we do have some younger listeners that might be coming over from TikTok. Think the Becky Lynch nosebreak, right? That that prevented her from us being able to get Becky Lynch versus Ronda Rousey, and we didn't have Becky Lynch for a couple months. Think that times a thousand. Think that Absolutely. times a thousand. Obviously, like the severity of the injury is so much worse. What happened to Stone Cold than what happened to Becky Lynch? Um, but they both of those injuries forced them to pivot away from just in-ring work and it forced Becky Lynch to 
become the man character and it forced stone cold to become stone cold you know austin 316 rather than just the the rattlesnake right um so think that just on crack and every other stimulant drunk that you can think of i think i think you said i had i hit the nail on the head with the uh elizabeth savage uh scenario you hit the nail on the head with that like i'm just it all fell in the timeline of Austin being so hot. And I, th- I believe he was the IC champion at the time. Again, an IC title reference for SummerSlam. But he was the champion there, and they weren't going to really put him o- put Owen over with the mistake. So they had to force that. With Becky, she was so fire hot going into Survivor Series that it's now we don't have our main eventer who's fire hot again times 1000 though yeah for for the perverts that are that are listening you uh, think of edging right where it, it's delayed gratification let's call it that where <laughs> where hey i could have this right now and i'm gonna like this or i could delay it i could hold off and have this down the line in a much more satisfying explosion of of pleasure for the people listening on Spotify, go look at the YouTube channel because water just came out my house. <laughs> Tell me that analogy doesn't make sense though. Because it does. It's delayed gratification because everyone was over on Austin. Everyone was over on Becky. You put you you give us what we want at that moment in time. We're gonna be super pumped and we're gonna love it. But yeah. these uh these negative circumstances put a pause on that. But it all it did was put a cap on yeah. on the volcano that was about to erupt. Rather than it erupting now, you made us erupt later. And I keep yeah. using using analogies that could be just sexual in oh. nature, but I promise you the volcano and the bottle cap, this one I'm not trying to be gross, uh, but it's true, right? Like you have this built up pressure and once we're finally able to get what we want, still, I'm not doing a great job here, right? Still yeah. coming off overly sexual. Uh, and then we finally get what we want. And then it's just so much better because we had to wait for it. Yeah. At the end of the day, like, the, again, you turn a negative into a positive, And that's what Stone Cold did. He went away. He figured out how he could develop his character. And listen, I'm never going to blame owen hart for what happened accidents happen in the ring and owen should never be stepped on or belittled uh god rest his soul but at the end of the day he almost did austin a favor because it would never have been the same because austin came back on a rampage and there was no stopping him oh folks that is our I don't I I don't know what that was because I was originally going to title this top five greatest uh, SummerSlam moments of all time. And I just don't think that that's maybe that was our top five most memorable SummerSlam moments of all time. Maybe that might be the the better way to word this. But folks, thank you very much for listening. Um, We hope you enjoyed that. Come back next week where we're going to be talking a little bit more SummerSlam. We're going to be talking about our top five favorite matches in SummerSlam history. We might have some repetition from what we've uh, spoken about here, but there's going to be a lot more variety as well. Uh, Steve, where can the people find you? First off, Santi, I just want to shout out a couple of new viewers. Oh, that's right. Yes, please. I want to shout out a couple of new viewers. We've hit Japan, Santi. We've hit Japan. I was about to say hello in Japanese, but I thought maybe that was Chinese and I didn't want to be disrespectful. So I'm going to just say Okinawa. 
which I'm pretty <laughs> sure is a city in Japan. <laughs> yeah, we hit we've we've hit Japan. So what up Japan? We've hit Guam. Hey, what, what up Guam? Like what I, was, up? I was, I was like, damn, we hit Guam. Like that's, and we've hit one of the other islands near Guam. It might have been the same person flying back and forth, but we've hit Garpan. The fuck well. is a Garpan? It's north of Guam. It's like oh, two okay. islands over. Okay, <laughs> like don't don't ask me questions, guys. Listen, I've been waiting for this one. What up Darwin? Like, finally, Northern Australia in the Northern Territory. Darwin, what is going on? And final one, we're going to go over to somewhere. Unfortunately, Santi, our map has changed languages, but we are in the north of Africa. And I'm talking right below Spain. Whatever country that is, there's two little blips. Guys, let us know in the comments who you are, but we are in North Africa, right below Gibraltar. Nice. Northern Africa. What's up, Hasadiga Ibowai? For those that know what I'm saying, let me know in the comments and let me know All what right. the if you know what the English translation is of that. Uh, Steve, where can people find you? Guys, you can find me on uh, soon to be back twitch.tv slash Mr. Teshk. I will be up and running by next week. Uh, you can find me on TikTok at Straight Shoot. And don't forget Straight Shoot Sports. We got Straight Shoot Sports running with Drew. And other than that, Santi, what about you? Uh, I'm back to streaming uh, on a regular basis. Twitch.tv slash Santi's app. Uh, so that's all I'm going to promote today. Um, links to all that will be in the description. We're playing some Cuphead and other fun games, folks. Please come on over. Yeah. You went back to that. And there's a uh, downloadable content DLC, which uh, which they have called the Delicious Last Course DLC. <laughs> I can't but, I can't believe you're doing that to yourself. Yeah, it's again. a miserable experience, folks. Thank you very much for uh, watching us again, Northern Africans. Hasadiga Ibowai. Take care. Be good.